Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So great to be with you. Our title today is Leadership Case Studies, How to Change a Deeply Ingrained Culture. Now, I've known for years about uh, MBA programs, such as those at Harvard and other places. My daughter was in one in Spain as well, which focuses on uh, case studies to teach content. Uh, I even have a niece in medical school right now, and even in her first year, she's dissecting cadavers uh, as she's learning about the human body, very much almost like a case study method. And so uh, I recently fell into, as I mentioned on a few podcasts ago, this idea of case studies as a way of teaching. Uh, I did a master's class around the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book uh, that I wrote a few months ago, and I took 40 people. And uh, I had them do case studies and send them in to me. Uh, and I gave them a basic template. And it was just amazing. It was, for me, it was, it was brilliant. And I created a little template, which I'm going to invite you to use uh, in the future, which was, you know, tell me some facts of your church or ministry. Describe one challenging problem or situation that you're facing. What attempts have you made thus far to address uh, that situation? And then from where you are now, what do you think are your next steps? And then what questions are you holding? And uh, in fact, three weeks ago, uh, I did on this podcast uh, a roadmap for transformational supervision part two that I actually used uh, case studies. And I got a very large response from many of you about how helpful that was. And so uh, I think just not just your response and people's responses to case studies, but even my own sense of consolation, joy, a sense of God being in it. Uh, I am going to do this week a leadership case studies around a theme and I want to pilot it. This is a pilot. And if it goes well, I, I may do one a month or one every two months uh, with a different theme around it, like I'm thinking right now about power and wise boundaries. Uh, and so, uh, so I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll take the, the people uh, presenting the, the uh, challenge. But for now, it's just me summarizing it. So uh, today's theme is Leadership Case Studies, How to Change a Deeply Ingrained Culture. Uh, so I'm going to change the names, uh, the contexts, and a few details, uh, but it'll be enough for you to see the situation. Now, I'm going to talk about not just uh, big churches, movements, or co- even different countries, but small ones, and the situations may all be very unlike yours, but I think you'll find out and you'll see how there really are great learnings uh, to be found as we talk about case studies, and I realize, oh my goodness, uh, if you listen to enough case studies, actually in the hundreds and hundreds, uh, it will become second nature to you even to realize, oh, this is how this problem would be approached or this challenge could be navigated. And again, in my particular case, it's applying what we call emotionally healthy leadership or discipleship. It's it's the, it's the it's always missing pieces of biblical teaching that we're trying to integrate into the church as we go forward in mission here in the 21st century. So let's go uh, with the first case study. And I've got actually seven here. Hopefully we'll get through them uh, in this uh, podcast. First one is is a suburban church, uh, about 1,000, 1,500 people, and uh, multi-site as well. And, and uh uh, the pastor has been there a number of years and has recognized they've got some serious discipleship gaps. And um, on several levels, he's been seeking to shift the culture to a more serious discipleship uh, model. In fact, they've done the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course with his staff and leaders, uh, et cetera. But his question was this, uh, as, he's, as he's, he's, he dove into this now, he's in it, he believes in it, um, 
but realize, realizing the magnitude of changing the culture, which is not just simply people showing up to church and enjoying themselves, uh, but remaining at a level of spiritual maturity, but actually make, have, getting some real traction in the walk with, with Jesus and coming to church to get equipped for the sake of you know, mission in the school, in their schools, workplaces, families, etc. Uh, how do you how do you move this from a program of may, maybe you know doing some courses to actually something reproducible? Uh, and he just writes about his own awakening over the last couple of years as he's gotten more involved with uh, with us. Uh, so again, how do you build this into the culture? Is this question long term? So here's my response: uh, There is no magic bullet. Uh, There is no program. Uh, This is going to be much, there is no getting around the way of Jesus. Think of Jesus again. Let's come back to this over and over again here in this podcast. We get different case studies. Jesus preached to the multitudes. He died for the whole sins of the world. uh, And he he had the crowds. He had, then we know he sent out 70 in Luke chapter 10. We know he sent out the 12, uh, whom he really focused on. In fact, uh, most of his time, as the ministry, his ministry progressed over three years, he spent more and more and more time with these 12. And then within 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John. And so you have Jesus with a very narrow funnel in terms of where his priorities and time are going, but he's very much aware of a long-term vision. But he's investing in the few while, in a sense, holding the multitudes. They're, they're following him on different levels, uh, but he's giving them less and less time as his three-year ministry is coming to a close, that's an incredible lesson for us because it's the opposite of how we do things, especially in the Western church, which is we think of, let's get big, our focus and all of our energy goes into crowds, keeping the crowd, uh, connecting them, getting them serving, get them giving, uh, and get them out in the community serving for Jesus. But it's very much a wide approach. Jesus was very, uh, it's, it's, it's a narrow funnel. Uh, it's the crowds, yes, but it's the few that he's mentoring. And so, the first thing I want to say, I'll call this person Joe, um, the, the lead pastor. Uh, there is no program. Uh, we're talking about a shift in your priorities, life on life, where you actually are going to be focusing your time now. Yes, you're preaching sermons and leading this 1,000, 1,500 member church, uh, but you're now deeply invested in making you know disciples. And so it's good you've brought the emotionally healthy you know, discipleship course, part one and two, into your church and your leadership. That's all great. But, uh, and that is a programmatic element, but it's not a program, it's a culture. So one, it begins with your own development and growth, that you're continuing on this journey of deepening your walk with Jesus out of what you give to others. Uh, You're going to now begin to work very intentionally with your direct reports uh, on your staff team in terms of their maturing and rhythms with Jesus. They're deepening with him. You're concerned about not simply their skill development, but actually their inner life with Jesus. And then you're intentionally mentoring a few. Now, this is a messy process. And so Jerry and I, over a period of uh, many years, and we were 26 years, we were, we were at our church as a lead pastor at New Life. Um, and we, uh, most years, would have a group of 12 to 18 people in our basement. And we would do an intensive uh, mentoring group. And we would give ourselves to the few. Now, what's ironic about that is, uh, yes, our leaders flowed out of that over the over years, but it was very slow, very messy. And uh, I don't know what percentage didn't work out the way I would have hoped. That is becoming leaders who lead leaders. Uh, 30%, maybe 40%. 
Uh, and I used to get so discouraged at the ones who did not work out. Uh, I think Jesus understood that. I mean, with Judas in particular. Uh, but Jerry and I were very intentional. I used to feel sometimes really guilty. Like, why am I spending all this time with this person, with these people in my basement? I have friends who are leading large churches uh, and they're doing strategic meetings for 10, 12 hours at a shot. Uh, and I just had to remind myself, no, no, this is the way you build uh, a church. You multiply disciples by investing in a few who then, if you invest in people, they will naturally invest in other people. Um, it's inevitable because they've had the experience of being changed. They've had the experience of being mentored. They've had the experience of being discipled. And uh, so, sorry, there is no magic pill uh, it's going to be slow, but I promise you this, that if you go this route, uh, and again, you can use, I think, the emotionally healthy discipleship content that's found in the in the course, Emotionally Spirituality and Emotionally Relationships, gives you a tremendous amount of material to work from. Uh, things like a genogram. You do a genogram with people going over three to four generations. And so as you're developing, for example, table leaders, you're meeting with them one-on-one -on -one about their genogram and how their genograms impacted them. And you're taking the material to a next level. You're, you're customizing it. You're personalizing it. But again, you're investing time in it. Uh, and again, the grief and loss, for example, they create a chart in, in one of the sessions on uh, how grief and loss was handled in their life at different uh, phases, whether you know 3 to 12 or 12 to 18, 20 to 30, et cetera. And then how do they process it? How was God coming to them? Uh, what are some treasures that might be hidden uh, in that for people? And so you getting in there with them one-on-one -on -one just takes the material and takes the biblical content to a whole new level. And sadly, most people don't have that experience very often in our churches of someone actually investing in them. But if you will do this work, it may not be fancy, I can promise you, you're building culture. You're changing a deeply ingrained culture to something new, uh, but it's going to be slow. It's a mustard seed. With that, let me move to this second case study. Uh, and this is a uh, an African-American church in an urban center. Uh, and uh, the person who wrote this case study uh, is actually uh, the number two person uh, in the church. It's a very large church. It's a mega church, actually. and uh, But it's in transition. And uh, so uh, th this it's a very well-known church in their city. Uh, they've got a, a large staff team. Of course, the pandemic has hit, and the senior pastor is in the midst of transition uh, and I've really been transitioning out after a very long uh, decades of leadership. And so this number two uh, executive pastor is, is handling uh, a culture shift, not just the pandemic post-COVID-19, but also the culture shift from a founder to now whatever new leadership is going to look like. And you've got this sense of instability, of change going on. Uh, in the church, and wondering how do I, you know, how do I manage this? Uh, you know, how do I walk this thing out? And so, uh, here's what I would say to him: We'll call him uh, Sam. All right. Uh, so, Sam, let's just step back again. So, in terms of now, the you're in a very, very key spot. Uh, it's you know, it's amazing that you're in. They brought you in, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in the midst of all this transition. Um, and you're part of an African-American church with a very rich history going back to, you know, 1600s and slavery in the United States, a church that was born out of suffering and slavery. It's a miracle uh, with a deep heart for God. 
you know, deep in the community, deep in the culture, but now is under tremendous assault externally, internally. Um, I mean, this is this is a, a rich history, uh, and your church has a long history now of decades under this, uh, you know, founder leader uh, who's now transitioning out. You've got you know thousands of, of people, and you're in the middle of a massive transition, and really, it's a massive ending as well. And so, um, you know, we talk often about uh, discerning God's treasures or discovering God's treasures buried in grief and loss. Uh, there is a lot of grief and loss that uh, your community is going to be in. Uh, and this is a great discipleship moment to uh, offer a, a biblical framework, a, a reorientation, a way to think about it uh, of of you know, I, I picture Jeremiah uh, in Lamentations. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, pain uh, in a transition like this. Uh, a lot of feeling of being dislocated. Uh, but you know, Jeremiah was able to hold it together. He he again, the, the phases of grief biblically are: I feel it deeply. I pay attention to it, like David did in the Psalms, like Jeremiah did. I wait on the Lord with it. And then third phase, I let God birth something new out of the old. And you want to help a culture shift now happen uh, in that in your community, uh, in that strategic role you're in of what God is doing. There is an ending that's happening, but there's also, and it's going to be a confusing in between, which we see in scripture, but we can say like, you can say like Jeremiah, you know, I believe in the resurrection. God's got a new beginning for us too. Uh, and you're entering a whole new reality, much like Jeremiah uh, was able to say in Lamentations three, you know, great is your faithfulness; uh, uh, his mercies never fail. Uh, and you want to bring leadership in the midst of stability. It's one of the midst of what could be instability, and that you're headed for. But you're you you are probably headed for storms. Anytime you have a succession, there's going to be some storms. Uh, and you're like Esther; you've been placed there for such a time as this, and you are stewarding the rich history and wealth of that church. And by wealth, I'm referring to people, gifts, buildings, heritage, anointings, charisms, ministry impact. And you've got some power by being the second, number two person there to create a, again, a healthy culture. And so I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing that I encouraged the, the first case study, which is you want to as well uh, be investing in some key leaders uh, and bringing them with you on this journey of really how do you handle transitions, which is, again, the, the process of grief and loss. And I would encourage you to look at that chapter on discovering the treasures of grief and loss in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book because you are living it, which is there's an ending, so I pay attention to it. I wait on the Lord, second phase, and it's confusing in between. And then third phase, I let the old birth the new. And people need leadership. And you want to offer that to people along the way, regardless of what happens there. And then like Jesus, as your hand, as you as you're holding together the, the thousands in the church and then the, a large staff team, you want to be mentoring a few and investing in them as you go forward. Amen. Okay, hope that helps. Third case study. Let's go on here. Uh, we will call uh, this next person, let's call uh, him Harry. And uh, Harry uh, actually is a founder of a church movement and uh, a church which has multiplied out into uh, many churches. And uh, they have a, 
actually into, into uh, seven to eight different churches already over the last number of years. And they are now, and, and they are now have a vision of multiplying uh, into quite a few more, multiplying movements of churches. They're, they're found in the Midwest of the United States. Uh, and so uh, they've been through some you know, difficult seasons, uh, obviously learned a lot of hard lessons. And now the big question he's holding is how do we go from seven to 14 churches and to four different networks? Uh, and how do we find leaders uh, and develop leaders who can lead these new churches that will be emerging in the years to come? And, uh, you know, I began to ask some questions and, you know, how, how, does he, how do I go forward? He goes, how do, I, how do I develop people who can lead churches in the years to come and get this and help this movement be self-sustaining long-term? And so without going into the details of some of the case study, uh, the first had to do with his own life. Now, he went very, very hard in the early years. Uh, and the, uh, as, the, as the founder of this movement, and now they're at a stage of doubling and then multiplying into separate movements. Uh, and so he's not leading one congregation, he's kind of over, kind of providing leadership and over all of them and providing leadership development over all of them. And so here is my counsel to you very directly. Again, let's, let's do theological integration. You've begun this journey into what we call emotionally healthy discipleship, which is fantastic. I think you want to get a vision of what is a healthy culture look like? What, what, what is this thing? And um, so I, I want to invite you to download that ebook uh, on church culture revolution, because I want you to have a picture of what it is you're building as a culture. Uh, just go to www.emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And it's got, the, the, it's got six you know, qualities of a church culture. Uh, that is a vision of what this thing might look like. Everything from a slow down spirituality to uh, healthy relationships to passionate marriages and singleness, every person in full-time ministry. Look at that document because you want to get a vision of where you're building and where you're going, which means you need to develop pastors and leaders who embody the culture that you want to build in these churches. And I know you know enough about what I'm talking about uh, that you get it. What I want to say to you is what you don't get is that it's going to take you time to get people there. In other words, uh, you're moving too fast. Uh, discipleship is slow. It's a mustard seed. Uh, so again, uh, as you read that Church Culture Revolution little ebook, uh, think of Jesus and the 12 and what it took Jesus painstakingly to get these 12 to where they could lead the church. Uh, it was it was hard work. And I, again, I've studied over and over, and I continue to study over and over again, how Jesus mentored and discipled these 12. And what's so interesting is just how he had to hit the same themes over and over again. I mean, he was living with them for three years, uh, and they were asking things like, who's the greatest, uh, over and over again. Even right up to the crucifixion, they're wondering who's the greatest and arguing about that. And James and John are asking to sit at his right and his left hand in glory. I mean, they're just missing it. Uh, that is what it's like to disciple people. It's just... It's hard. It's a mustard seed. It's slow. It's difficult, but it's powerful. Remember, mustard seeds are slow and small, almost imperceptible. And that's what it's like when we invest in people. So when you think about getting your whole next big recruitment of pastors and leaders that will go out into these future church plants, you want to have the perspective that uh, this isn't going to be a six-month or a, a one-year process. 
you want to think of probably a multi-year process and you've got to phase it out and you've got to get personal. It can't just all be large group uh, and you've got to limit the number of people that can be in it. Otherwise, it just becomes a lecture. Uh, and do you want to start with you first and your development and growth, your integration, and then, of course, your marriage, because you're, you're married, and then you want to mentor the few uh, and invest in them, again, just like Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and you've got the 12, and Jesus had the 70 after that, but I just want, to, I want you to take a nice deep breath, and I want you to slow down, because uh, if you rush uh, and go fast, you will release people that maybe have great gifting, uh, and abilities, but they may not have the character, the inner life necessary to be to build the culture you want to build for your movement. Uh, so again, remember, they must become the vision that you want to see happen. I think of Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You need pastors and leaders that can say that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not that we're perfect, but that in our brokenness, we're able to, hey, you know, invite people to follow Jesus and follow us as we follow Jesus. All right, let me move on here. Hope that helps. The next one comes from uh, United Kingdom. And uh, this is a uh, uh, an Anglican rector uh, who works in a, a diocese, one of the dioceses of, uh, in England uh, with a few hundred churches. And uh, this fellow, we'll call him uh, uh, Eric, has been uh, doing different emotionally healthy discipleship courses, cohorts, et cetera, webinars uh, for the last few years in his last three or four years in his uh, diocese. And uh, so he writes this case study. Uh, and while he's teaching individuals, uh, pastors and leaders, EHD, and getting a very good response, the culture as a whole, uh, and in this case, we're talking about a couple of hundred uh, churches or parishes, there's resistance. Uh, like most uh, denominations or movements, they measure success by numbers. And uh, very much the metrics are numbers and bodies and new churches, et cetera. And so this idea of a, a new operating system like emotionally healthy discipleship, uh, very, very tough pill to swallow. And so he's discouraged. And he writes this about being discouraged. How do I, what do I do? How do I change the culture? And so... Uh, let me begin by saying this, Eric. Uh, first of all, uh, let's think back for a second. The Church of England uh, has a genogram that goes back to 1534 and Henry VIII and the split with the Pope at that time. And now the Anglican communion is 160 countries. So you got a long and a very rich history um, and a, a, a rich genogram. And so now you step in here uh, the last few years, and you begin to bring a, you know, emotionally a discipleship, and you're discouraged because people aren't jumping all over board and say, let's change operating systems and all that. So I, I, I let me just say this: that first of all, uh, uh, let's respect the genogram that you're coming into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history, and so we're back to slow down. It's going to be slow. Be patient. You've barely been at it. And so, of course, there's going to be resistance. Of course, people don't change immediately. They 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 got a Jesus may live in their heart, but grandpa's in their bones, and and they they have a unique anointing and a rich heritage as well. So you don't want to throw out the beauty and the good with it, but it's going to take time, and it's going to begin slow with some individuals. Uh, again, you look at scripture; all the images of God growing 
uh, ministry is agricultural. It's not manufacturing. We're, we're not a manufacturing plant. Okay, we're, we're like farmers, sowers and seeds and seasons. And so it's, it's just slow. Uh, in fact, I would say the friction that you're experiencing is part of the gift that God's bringing to you. So your task right now is to lead, uh, to differentiate, to stay connected to your larger community, Anglican community and diocese, and yet lead uh, and bring you know EH discipleship in a way that, that fits you. But it, EHD is not the issue. It's not about EH discipleship. It's about you want to bring serious formation uh, to the pastors and leaders uh, in your denomination or the Anglican communion, which is wonderful. Uh, and so, and you don't want to be measuring the scorecard by numbers alone. You know, that's a weak measurement. There's much more to measure. Uh, and you're concerned about the next generation. So you want to stay with that. Um, but you want to do it from a joyful perspective, a patient perspective, giving people time to process and observe. And you'll have, you have a few early adopters, but it's going to, it's going to take years. Uh, and uh, hopefully you're going to stay loving to the people around you. Uh, and in some ways, you've got a little movement going on within the larger movement. But you always want to be loyal to the larger movement and be supportive, but of course, patient and gentle and most importantly, joyful and content in the process. Okay? The next one is also a uh, is from a country in Latin America. And uh, uh, similar, where uh, the... Uh, uh, John, who is from a country in Latin America, writes about his or his challenge of bringing uh, a new way of doing discipleship and leadership to a Latin American country, and the resistance to uh, EH discipleship uh, in that place. And what again? What do I do? How, how do I do this? And he writes about how pastors say to him, they, they read different books, and they say implementing you know, something like emotional discipleship, that would be changing everything. And such a major shift, it'll be, it'll just never happen. And and so he does like, trainings, he's been sharing his experiences, he's inviting people to come and see. Uh, and people are just, this is way too much, this is way too big. And uh, and so he is too, is like, uh, and we got a whole history in Latin America where of persecution of the Catholic Church over and against the Evangelical Protestant Church. That's been going on for a very, very long time. So you have all this friction between the two churches. And you know, the EH discipleship course, you know, draws on some of the riches of the history of the church pre-Reformation, like silence and stillness and, you know, and, and slow down spirituality and Sabbath and and uh, so you have all that as well. And so uh, here's my recommendation, John, to you is uh, one is again, let's remember uh, Jesus came and brought a whole new wineskin uh, into the first century, and it was it was it was slow. It was difficult, and so you too want to be like Jesus the twelve. Uh, you're, you're dealing with a genogram of a whole history of Latin America uh, that's really vast and really large, and so you want to get a big perspective, the long view. God is doing a tremendous work in Latin America. There is there is a life of God happening in Latin America way beyond anything happening in Europe or North, North America right now. And so, believe me, this thing will explode out uh, uh, eventually. But right now, you are breaking ground. You're giving new theology, new sense of history. You're bringing truth, freedom, liberation, deliverance uh, to people and 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 pastors and leaders. And so, like Jesus, you want to start with the 
with the 12. You want to mentor a few. You want to probably do the course with a few uh, and uh, get these truths deeply embedded in people's lives slowly. And it may just be a few churches. I know we've got yeah, 50, 60 churches in Latin America doing EH discipleship. There's a lot of interest, but it's going to be a slow burn. But there's going to be a point where all of a sudden this thing is going to – the fire is going to get lit because the fire is deep in people for Jesus uh, in Latin America. As you know, I've been there. I speak Spanish. Uh, but now you finally have all the materials in Spanish that have been translated. You have a great opportunity. The key for you is going to be don't go fast. Don't try to do the big thing. Uh, do small. Build well. Uh, build like Jesus. The funnel is going to be you get 70, the 12, the 3. Uh, slow it down. Get the big picture. It's going to be a mustard seed. But the mustard seed is incredibly powerful. Uh, and once it begins to grow and take root in people's lives, it is just simply explosive. All right, next one I'm gonna, I want to share with you is going to be a, um, let me find this one, it's going to be a church plant uh, in a uh, large city here in the United States. And uh, uh, post-pandemic, uh, the lead pastor in this urban setting is discouraged because he's lost half his church uh, to the pandemic. And so uh, he is struggling with the fact of You've got, he's got all these young people in the church in their 20s and 30s, many who are just exhausted, very busy. Uh, and uh, he's a bit overwhelmed now having to rebuild all over again. And it seems like most people want to be consumers, not contributors, uh, as he's trying to build the church and get this thing moving. Uh, and a number of people even coming to him burnt out. And so he goes, you know, what do you suggest? How, what are my next steps here uh, in this transient culture? Uh, how do I lead them, move them from being consumers to actually builders? How do I build a healthy culture in the midst of so much transition? And uh, so, again, I want to say you are the culture. Uh, uh, this person I'm speaking to is in their 30s as well. Uh, you want to deepen your own equipping in Jesus. That's number one. Uh, much like Bobby Clinton's work, The Making of a Leader, you want to understand the first 15 to 20 years of your ministry, the primary thing happening is God inside of you. It's not, hap- not what's happening through you, but God in you that your best fruit's going to happen in your 50s and 60s. Uh, And so right now, your posture in the midst of all these challenges from COVID to losing almost half the church to people leaving to having all these young people in their 20s and 30s who themselves are in a life, an unstable season of their life coming and going, uh, you are the rock of stability. And so you want to get deeply equipped in Jesus, get perspective, again, slow it down, God gives you a gift of limits, and that gift of limits is God inside of you. In some ways, he's not letting you explode the church out right now. Uh, you are in a season, and it's a difficult season, but it's one where God's doing a great work inside of you. So I want to invite you to relax, uh, surrender to him, and listen to his voice. You actually are amazing that you're there, and you're probably right where God wants you to be, and I just want to encourage you. You're, you're doing a great job. Uh, and you just want to get the big long-term perspective. You've got a good 40, 50 years ahead of you. This is an important season, how you respond to it. So again, you want to focus on yourself and then your team, and you want to be building those few disciples along the way. And I like what you said to me that you realize it's not about a program, because I know you, you do the discipleship course in your church. It's really about the culture. And so you want to get the culture deep in you that you want to see happen in your church. And then the last case study I'll do in just two minutes, which is uh, it's from actually Eastern Europe and uh, Eastern European country and where 
a church of 150 people that's been through uh, a split before they were founded uh, and been through some real challenges. And again, uh, the slowness of the growing of the church, about 150 people. uh, And actually, I know this pastor and phenomenal guy, great guy, and uh, we'll call him, uh, what should I call him? John. (laughs) John. And um, uh, basically, how do I navigate? Again, they're coming out of COVID as well. How do I handle the slowness? Uh, how, how do I? People don't don't trust me. They got a lot of hurts from their past. And I just, in summary, I, what I just, I can't. I don't have time to go into everything, but I just share with him that again, you're coming out of a genogram of uh, Eastern Europe, uh, communism. Uh, you know, from 1917, Nazism. You know, World War II, uh, and now after the, the fall of the wall, and now you got. You know, corrupt governments, and, and there's a lot of mistrust. You know, a long history there, and you're building something stable in the middle of this country for Jesus, a new culture, a new way of functioning, uh, and you're doing you know, fabulous. I mean, four years of 150 people uh, in in this capital city is amazing, uh, and so I, I, you know, I want to encourage you to do a genogram of even your church of these past four years, and a genogram of your country. And think about the positive and neg- negative legacies that you're walking into as you now are planting and forming the new family of Jesus. Uh, and I know you're committed there long term, uh, and you want to just you want to be about uh, your again your development first, investing in yourself, your being out of what you do, and then you want to make sure you're investing in a few. Uh, and again, we can help you with that actually looks like. Uh, and you know the three and the twelve, and uh, I would encourage you to use genogram, use some of the you know the great stuff in the course that you're teaching. Uh, but uh, I'd say you're right where you want to be, uh, right where you know God has you is a fantastic spot. So and you know you may want to encourage them to pick up in your church the um, the inventory of am, am I an emotional the personal assessment am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? It's called the emotional healthy personal assessment. And uh, go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, and it's a 15-minute assessment that people can take about where am I emotionally, am I spiritual maturity, emotional spiritual maturity. And again, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, because you want to be calling people to spiritual adulthood, and you want to be giving them a vision of what that looks like. So look forward to talking to you again. All right, everybody, thank you so much. It's been great to be with you on this Leadership Case Studies, How to Change a Deeply Ingrained Culture. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, Look forward to doing it again. And I want to invite you uh, to send me uh, a case study, uh, a challenge that you're facing. And we'll be posting it on social media and on our website, on the podcast page, what what the case study uh, framework needs to look like, the five questions you need to answer to send one in. And uh, we're probably going to do the next one around power, and teams and dual relationships, which is a really large issue. So again, be watching out on my social media page uh, at Pete Scazzaro on Instagram, uh, Twitter, or Facebook, and look forward to hearing from you. And in a month or two, we will do another podcast on leadership case studies. Let me know how it went, what you thought of it. Send me your feedback at info at emotionallyhealthy.org. Thanks, everybody. It's been great to be with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.